recording. Hi. Hello. <laughs> Welcome back to the show, Bryce. Thanks for having me. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, we are actually... Oh, it's it's quite nice. You know, since the session ended, I can record a show a week and actually have to go off. <laughs> I know. I've, I've been very sad not having Politic Tick Boom <sighs> in my life. Well, I appreciate that. Actually, it's funny because I've gotten a couple emails from people. They're like, did you die? <laughs> no, I didn't. I'm sorry. I'll confirm for people. I'm still very much alive. Yes. Very much alive. Kind of crazy. So, uh, how have you been? I've been great. You know, I'm excited to be back in Missoula. You know... Last time we talked, I was, you know, getting ready to go into the campaign, and now I've gone through the whole campaign and the legislative session and back in Missoula, so I've gone full circle, and, and it feels great. So, how did your campaign play out this year, you know, this, this session? Because it was your second campaign, a little bit more easy to do, I would assume, because you're an incumbent, but... Yeah, the campaign was great, you know, I... Did a lot of the same things I did last time. I knocked on a whole bunch of doors, talked with a whole bunch of people, and you know had a great reception. And you know, last time I won by 155 votes, or just edging beyond 50 percent. Uh, and this time I got 66 percent of the vote. So nice. uh, that was a, a nice validation that I felt like I was doing something right. Very cool. And then um, you got to the session, and you were in a leadership position this time. Yeah, I was elected to be the minority caucus chair. And so what does that mean? Well, it's, uh, you know, there's four people on our leadership team, the minority leader, there's two whips, and then there's this other position that's, you know, essentially the official leader of the, you know, the caucus and our meetings. You know, whenever we do our caucuses, you know, I was the person who called us to order. And, you know, I would do a lot of the organizing of, of caucus events to make sure that, you know, we whenever we would have our meetings, I would help facilitate those. Very cool. Mm -hmm. And uh, did you expect that going in? You know, I, I called around. You know, it's it's a weird thing because, you know, you finish the election and then the caucuses are like a week later. So if you want to run for leadership, you essentially have to go from finishing one campaign that was about a year long right into another one. Right. Where well, you're <laughs> calling a bunch of folks. You're saying, here's my ideas. This is what I'd like to do with the position. And because this is a relatively new position... This is, uh, you know, one that doesn't necessarily have, you know, the same sort of parameters of this is exactly what you do in this role. So it was kind of exciting to be like, you know, I, I'd love to be elected to this position. And this is kind of my vision behind it. That's cool. Yeah. So uh, what exactly? I mean, starting obviously the caucuses and, and setting up that stuff, that sounds like a lot of cat wrangling. <laughs> um, what else did it entail or what was what were some of your surprises after you? landed the role, I guess. You know, I, I think I said, I was just actually listening to the last time I did this interview before, uh, before this one. And, you know, I talked a lot about last time about, you know, you don't really know until you're actually the candidate, what it's like and all the responsibilities and all the stuff that happens behind the scenes when you're actually, you know, in the legislature or a legislative candidate. And I can say the same thing about being in leadership now. You know, you can kind of see leadership from afar and you know some of the things that they do. But until you're in that position, you don't realize you know, how intensive it is. I mean, we had you know, probably a meeting with some constituency or some group every single day. And, you know, just trying to make sure that everything was you know, running smoothly and that we were all on the same page. You know, 39 separate people is, is tough. You know, as well as trying to work with our friends in the governor's office and in the Senate. Right. 
So were you coordinating a calendar for everybody or did you have some sort of central centralized tool to help that out or? Yeah. I mean, you know, we tried to keep things on a regular basis. You know, we'd meet with, you know, this committee on this day or this other committee on another day. And, you know, the responsibilities would be split and we'd meet with the governor every so often. And, but, you know, of course, on top of that, there'd be things that come up or big bills that we'd be dealing with that we wanted to meet on on top of that. So there's always more and more stuff, and I'm very grateful for modern technology to keep my <laughs> calendar up to date about yes. all the different things Could going on. Could you imagine on. having to do this with postcards and ponies? <laughs> I can't, uh, I'm very grateful to be living in the era that I am. Nice. So um, you got into the session, obviously elected again from Missoula, mm-hmm. and... Um, we'll get into what happens with the um, redistricting and how that affects you in a bit. Mm-hmm. But um, what was it like being a representative again for these people? Was it when you were dealing with your constituents, did it have uh, a different tone? Did it work out differently? Yeah, it, it definitely had a different feel both in the campaign and in the legislature. You know, the first time I went around, you know, I was known in, in some circles and people had seen some of the work that I had done for the party and for other, you know, uh, nonprofits and things like that around town. But, you know, they, I was essentially an unknown quantity for the vast majority of people in the district. And this time around, you know, both in the campaign and in the legislature, people knew who I was. People, you know, remembered the conversations that we had had before. You know, they remembered when I sent them a letter or gave them a call or how I voted in the last legislature. You know, people are, are very tuned in. So, it was definitely very different that way that, you know, it was a no longer a situation of the new kid on the block. Cool. And, uh, how did it feel on the floor? You know, the, the floor, you know, I guess is, no, I guess the thing I'll say about the floor is that in your first year it is a very intimidating thing to speak on the house floor at all. You know, these are, you know, influential people who've been around, many of them for a long time, uh, have very strong, you know, speaking skills and political skills. And, you know, uh, especially for a young person, a relatively young person, uh, as myself, you know, I was just so frightened every time that I had to stand up. And this next legislature, you know, I felt a little more comfortable. You know, I'd known a lot of the people who returned. I knew some of the new people who were coming in. So it didn't feel like, you know, a room full of judging strangers. It felt like a group of people that, you know, and people that might not always agree with you, but at least, you know, you feel a little more comfortable in your own skin. Well, that's cool. Um, you had to do something on the floor this year that was, uh, not only unusual, but probably I would have to imagine fairly uncomfortable. And it involved Senate bill 107. Mm. Um, tell us a little bit about that. I was terrified. <laughs> you know, I here I am talking about it. Yeah, I feel a little more comfortable in my skin, but you know, as I as I said in my speech on the blast motion in 107, in case folks don't know, was the bill to uh, eliminate the deviant sexual conduct language from our from our laws that essentially said that you know sexual relations between you know people of the same sex was a felony, uh, punishable by some big fines and some time in jail. And 10 years, 50 grand. No yeah, big deal. No, no big deal. Yeah. You know, water off a duck's back. Um, who doesn't have that sitting in their pocket? <laughs> Me. <laughs> but you know, I, the bill had died in 
committee and I was going to be the one to make the, the blast motion to pull it out of committee so that we could debate it on the House floor. And, you know, I, I've spoken on the House floor a lot and about a lot of different things that are very important to me, but I very rarely jump into my personal life and how things would affect me personally and kind of, you know, coming out to everybody on the house floor. And I, I know a lot of people probably knew already, but I definitely <laughs> had some people coming up to me afterwards and saying, you know, that they didn't know. And which is, which strikes me as odd because it's been in the papers about you forever that, you know, Bryce Bennett, the first openly gay man elected mm-hmm. to the state house. And, um, it seems like that's pretty obvious to anybody who's done any research at all. Or Yeah. And, and you know, it's, it's never been something that I, you know, hid from or, or misrepresented. It was, you know, just, you know, as much as straight people talk about, you know, coming out as straight folks, I probably, you know, was telling them about my life. So, you know, I, when I, when I went up there and I gave that speech and I talked about how this affects people's lives, people in their community, their neighbors, their family members, and specifically me, it was a, it was a very powerful thing. And, you know, it was, very, very uh, intimidating to me. You know, I remember very specifically on that day, you know, we have a little agenda that they put on our desk and, you know, there was, you know, about eight bills or so as there usually is. And watching each of those bills like get finished and kind of checking down closer, closer, it was like almost time, almost time. I, you know, I was like, hearing the Jaws theme in your head. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it was like, it's near. So yeah, it was... You know, I was kind of hoping that in that moment I would be able to kind of get out those words and and make sure that that story was told. Well, it seems you did a really good job and you impressed enough people because you started a snowball effect because we ended up with Steve Gibson, who um, is actually my representative Mm. and um, a great guy. He's really funny. He's hysterical when he's campaigning. And I don't know if I should say this, but it cracks me up. He's always, you know, because he's a smoker. So he... Walks to the next house, smoking a cigarette, puts it out, goes and knocks on the door. Oh, really? <laughs> you know, so he's a Montana. You just don't get any yeah, more Montana than that. And he's a great and, guy. Um, you know, he got up and made a speech, and then, and mm-hmm. I don't know that he was planning to, or he was so, sort of planning to, but didn't know if he had to, and but he was going to do it. Mm-hmm. And then Ankney, who was not going to do anything at all. Still. And and this was once the blast motion had already been made. Right, and this was yeah. This this was the during floor. the discussion on the floor, and so the blast motion was was effective. We got sixty votes. We needed fifty nine, so we just squeaked in, uh, and 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 it was the first blast motion that actually uh, passed the whole legislature, first wow. and only. So I mean, and there was a lot of attempts made. So I think that certainly says something about the fact that people were willing to stick their necks out for this. Yeah, it was it was definitely one of those things. So history was made. Once mm-hmm. again, you're involved in LGBTQ history in Montana. Yeah. And uh, what was it like when it finally got passed? It, it was unreal, to be honest. I, you know, after it passed on on second reading, we, you know, I had all these people come up to me and and congratulating me, and you know, e- even after the blast motion. You know, there was a sense that, you know, probably if we can get 60 votes on a blast motion, we can probably get 51 votes uh, for the rest of the time. So there was a sense that we were likely on the path to victory at that point. But certainly, 
and as we all know, there's never a done deal until it's actually done right. in the Montana legislature. So, you know, I, I was just quiet. I was sitting at my desk and kind of reflecting about how incredible it was to, to see something that had struggled for years upon years to, you know, get even out of committee to see it passed on second reading and then passed on third reading on its way to the governor's desk was uh, really moving. It was, it was very cool. Um, and it was the first thing that we had done pro LGBT rights in the state of Montana in forever. You know, we were always kind of battling backwards of, you know, don't take this away. And we finally did something positive. And that was really exciting. Yeah. It, it's interesting. And I was talking to Kelson on one of our, uh, Last this ends well as we were talking about the difference between proactively making legislation that improves things for people versus just fighting back. Yeah, from the stupid. And she's like, "Those wins mean so much more, and they're so much harder to get." And I think that we're starting to see that shift when it comes to the issues of LGBT equality. I think Minnesota is the best example. You know, just in 2012, they had you know something on the ballot that constitutional amendment. Yeah, constitutional amendment that would have you know, made it illegal for, you know, same-sex marriages to exist. And then that failed. And within a year, the legislature passes and the governor signs marriage equality. Right. So the, the shift in the tone that was going on in that state is, is amazing. And I really think that Montana in many ways is right on that horizon. I hope so. I've, I haven't done any other research yet because I've been busy with other things, but I've been meaning to look up what our process is to repeal a... A constitutional amendment. Well, you know, there's there's two different ways you can go about it. I mean, either the legislature can initiate it, and it has to get a hundred out of 150 votes between the two chambers, and then it goes to a vote of the people. Or folks can go out and collect enough signatures, uh, which is twice as much as a ballot initiative, around 42,000 or so signatures, to get a constitutional amendment on the ballot. So. There's a lot that's been going on with the state. There's a lot that's been going on with the session. The session isn't over. You've got your interim committees. Mm -hmm. What's going on with that? Well, uh, I will be on the Legislative Council and the State Administration and Veterans Affairs interim committees this year. And I was on uh, SAVA, as we call it, the State Admin Veterans Affairs, uh, last time. And it was very interesting. We did a, a very in-depth look at pensions. Uh, a little bit into you know election stuff, which is a lot of what we do in the state administration committee, and this time being on legislative council, which is the administrative council that, you know, when the legislature is not around, you know, is the oversight committee for the legislative services, you know, branch, is going to be very interesting and very new. You know, we just kind of recently met and and decided on you know what interim studies were going to be studied over the interim, so. Hence why they're called interim, interim studies. studies, believe it or not. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a weird process of how that goes about. But, you know, this year there's only 17 passed, so we're going to be able to study all of them. Very so, cool. yeah, that, that's really exciting. And then, um, and people don't realize this because this isn't how it works in most other states that have a sitting legislature mm -hmm. the entire term. Because we only have you for 90 days every mm -hmm. other year. Thank God, because parking's a mess. In it. 
Um, <laughs> Nobody in Helena seems to mind when we leave. Uh, no, and it's funny because everybody, it's we get really excited that the legislature is coming to town until about January 20th. And then we're like, <laughs> oh, really? Home? Already January 20th? Yeah. Well, when you still have three months to go. Exactly. Oh, <laughs> we don't even wow. make it to the end of January. We wear out our welcome quickly. Oh, it doesn't matter how much alcohol they buy. Please send them home. <laughs> We were having that discussion, actually. Well, you remember Schweitzer made that big stink about, you know, well, the alcohol oh, sales goes in hell and yeah. go through the roof. And it's uh-huh. like, it's not the legislature that drinks. It's the citizens of town. <laughs> I know, because I'm one of them. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, the legislature's here. I need a drink. <laughs> <laughs> we put you all through the ringer. Sorry about that, everyone. Oh, uh, well, it happens. Um, we're happy to be back home now, too. So don't worry about it. <laughs> So the interim committees are a really interesting way that we keep business going throughout the year. And um, we haven't had a special session in quite a while. It's been, it's been a number of years now. Yeah. Was it 2006 was the last one? <sighs> it might have been. I, I can't remember off the top of my head. But yeah, so, it's been a number of years. It's, it's been a while. And the reason, part of the reason is because our legislature has actually gotten most of their business done and they end up with a couple of extra days. So if they need it, mm-hmm. it's not technically a special session because they have the days left in the budget. Yeah. And we, you know, with the governor's leadership, we've been able to have these substantial ending fund balances to make sure that, you know, should things come up, we're able to deal with them as they come. Specifically, you know, things like forest fires that... Uh, you know, you never really know what you're in for. You have a sense of kind of the average from year to year, but you know we're living in a climate where these forest fires are getting worse and worse. So it's good to make sure that we have you know some money set aside yeah. to deal with it. Or we have idiots in Helena that go and set eight fires. Well, Holy yeah, beans. I mean, there's <laughs> there is that. It was it was really bizarre. Everybody's like, why are we getting all these fires? Turns out it's a former volunteer fireman. Way oh, to go! Wow. Yeah, I read a little bit about uh, that. Welcome to Montana, folks. <laughs> We're not just all crazy. <laughs> <laughs> not all of us. There's a, there's a few. So what's, uh, with the legislature going down, what are, what are your big goals for what's going to change coming up? I mean, I know you're going to have to run another campaign. Um, hopefully you're not going to be stuck dealing with that for an 18 months. Uh, but, you know, it, you've, you've just finished the session. Summer's finally shown up. Yeah. I'm looking out your window, I'm like, oh, it's well, really it's nice. Here. I mean, Missoula in the summer is the best place to be in Montana, no doubt about it. So, what have you got planned? For, Anything? for, for yourself. For the summer? For, oh, right. That, <laughs> you that can get away from time. politics for a few minutes. I know, you know, it's uh, just. Time's up. <laughs> all right, fair enough. Back to the mines. No, you know, it's, uh, you know, just working a little bit, taking a little time to. You know, breathe in a little bit before we have to start thinking about the next thing around the corner. You know, unfortunately, you know, these campaigns, they start almost immediately once we leave the legislature. You know, I'm already talking to people here in our community who've expressed interest in running for the legislature next time. And, you know, they're already making the rounds, talking to people, telling folks they're going to run. And, you know, some of them, I think, are already starting to raise money. You know, I guess as an incumbent, you know, I don't have to start off that early, but I did, you know, when I was, you know, first running for the first time. So I know what that's like. I mean, you want to be the first person that, you know, gets in there and it's pretty much right after, you know, as soon as we sign any die, you come back to Missoula and somebody says, can I meet with you? I'm interested in running for the legislature. <laughs> and how many people have you met that are interested? Uh, I mean, maybe... Four or five already. Wow. Yeah. And where's their interest seem to be coming from? Is it because they want to make the legislature better, legislature better, or is it because they have a, a certain interest that doesn't seem to be tackled? You know, I think it's a mix of each. I mean, 
I think that you know everybody that I'm talking to is a, a great, well-rounded candidate, or, or would be, and you know I think that they bring a lot to the table on a number of different issues. But you know, for most folks, there's always an issue or two that they you know feel very passionate about, or they followed closely the legislature, and they you know want to see a bit more done on that in the next legislature. And you know, I, I was the same way. You know, I wanted to see more young people. I wanted to see yes, really delve into higher education issues and voting rights. So you've been pretty successful with those. I, for the most part, you know, I think that, you know, higher education, obviously we have the tuition freeze. I feel very excited about that. You know, um, electing young people, um, I I guess I'm still there. So (laughs) feeling good about that. Although, you know, we took a picture, uh, a few of us, I think there was five or six of us, at the end of the legislature of the under 30 caucus. Um, and I was the only Democrat there, a bunch of other Republicans. And unfortunately, Seems bizarre. <laughs> that, well, this next time, you know, I'm not going to be able to be in that picture. So I'm excited for the possibility. Wait, that you're going to be 30. I will be 30. Yeah. I'm 28 now. So oh. right after the 2014 elections, I will turn 30. Well, that's okay. The state's turning 125 right after those elections. So, so in comparison, exactly, I'm relatively young. Exactly. That, that's how I'm interpreting it. Over 90 years younger. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that seems reasonable, right? Sure. But I mean, you know, I guess the, the point that I, I want to make is that, you know, I don't think that 30 should be the youngest Democrat in the room. I hope that, you know, either here in Missoula or in other communities across the state that we find some great young candidates who are passionate about the things that matter to their communities that are willing to throw their hat in the ring and run. Because I think that having that young voice in the legislature about the issues that matter to our generation is critically important. So we can't just let the Republicans have all the fun either. Well, absolutely. But it is interesting that there are so many young Republicans in the state. Mm-hmm. Um, but they tend to fall in uh, into interesting categories. Nick Schroeder being, of course, one of the more interesting. Well, I love Nick Schroeder, <laughs> and doesn't? I know that he listens to this. So I'll, I'll just Who give doesn't? a little at shout out to Nick Schroeder, and I'll at say at some point you have so to great. show me the artwork that he sent you. Oh the yeah, oh, I'll have to find that somewhere. <laughs> I'm like, I'm hoping it's like some XKCD stick figure snarky commentary on what. It, yeah, it is. It is exactly that. I mean. I think I can't remember what the vote was, but there was some bill that I, you know, voted with a handful of folks uh, in opposition to some bill, and you know, and in, it was not my my normal crew that I hang with, and he he drew me a little stick figure picture of of him and me and Jerry O'Neill, and it's like the No Caucus or something <laughs> like that. He was very proud of that, and sometimes he. He drew me a picture of a well at one point. It was probably about exempt wells or something. You know, all, all sorts of weird things. And and every time that we would have, like, some intense conversation or, you know, things were getting a little, you know, tense between the two different sides, you know, I would get some sort of cartoon from, from Nick Schwaterer. And I would, like, post it on a little bulletin board behind my desk because I thought they were all hilarious. Nice. That's cool. Well, it's funny because I know when I was talking to Nick before he got into the legislature and, mm-hmm. and, and you know, he's very excited to go in there and he was kind of, you know, I looked to all of these people as, you know, mentors on what we can do. And then he got in there and he ended up being one of the most 
interesting characters by far. Oh yeah. Of of the session, and I don't think anybody could peg him down. No. Like he, you know, he ran as a Republican, obviously, but he doesn't follow all the Republican ideals. He certainly doesn't follow all the Democrat ideals. No. He's sort of his own little rogue squadron right there in the corner. Yeah, you know, he I he voted no on a lot. Uh, that that was the probably the most probable thing that you could guess about. You know, Nick's voting record was that you saw a lot more no's than you saw yeses. But, you know, he brought a lot to the debate. And a lot of the, you know, I love the the young folks in the crowd because they they definitely brought a very different view to the whole process. And, you know, I look at folks like Nick and then, uh, you know, uh, Zolnikov, Daniel Zolnikov, and, you know, even Sarah Laz Laffey. You know, had a lot of interesting things to say. Wiley Galt, who was another young person. You know, it, it was really interesting to kind of see the perspective of some of the younger members of the parties as opposed to some of the folks who were a little more senior. So I, I thought that was fascinating, especially on some of the social issues. It was good to see that, you know, our generation had moved on behind some of the divisive issues that our parents cared a lot about. That meant nothing. Yeah. <laughs> Overall, it's like, get over it. Yeah. Um, so what are the big issues that you see coming up in this next term? You know, it's it's really hard to tell because, you know, everything is, is so far away at this point. And, you know, I can kind of reflect back on the issues that we dealt with in 2013. But by the time we get to the 2015 legislature, you know, I feel like we're going to have a very fundamentally different thing ahead of us. You know, I know that you know, if I was at 2011 looking to 2013, I would say medical marijuana, it's going to be a huge issue. We're going to be dealing with it a lot. And I think there was one or two bills about that, you know, so I, I think that in a, in a lot of ways, the budget was a, a huge success for us this last time. You know, we obviously didn't get everything that we wanted, but, you know, we were able to fund education. We got some other important programs funded uh, at pretty solid levels, sometimes even above what the governor was requesting. And I think that, you know, we got Title X funding for, you know, uh, women's health care back in there. So I think that there's a whole lot of good in there. But I guess reflecting on what's going to be ahead, I think the health care has got to be the big thing. That was the thing that we really dropped the ball on, you know, and it wasn't for lack of trying by a heck of a lot of us. You know, when it came to the issue yeah, of Medicaid it was expansion, maneuvering by but people in control. it was awful. You know, we were able to build coalitions to do some great things on a lot of different issues, but on the issue of Medicaid expansion, um, it, it was a party line the whole time. You know, with uh, Democrats trying as hard as we could with our limited numbers, you know, to see that pass. You know, something that would have included. You know, healthcare for 70,000 Montanans and jobs for 12,000 more. It just doesn't make any sense to me why we decided not to do it. Well, and the, the other thing about it that I don't think people get is that right now the state pays, let's see, feds pay 65, we pay 35% of all Medicaid expenses in the state. Yeah. But with this expansion, the feds would have paid 90% and we would have paid 10. Yeah. So our, even though we were expanding it to 70,000 more Montanans, well, our yet. overall bill would have gone down. Well, I mean, for these first couple of years, they would have paid 100. And then in the subsequent years, it would go to 90, 10. So, 
you know, we're we're in an even better situation than, than the ninety percent, which we're sounds just amazing. Going to, you know, keep seventy thousand people out of it, <laughs> so they have to go to emergency rooms, which is going to end up costing us more, and then we're going to pay more for it. Exactly. And at the end of the day, you know, you'd ask folks, why are you against Medicaid expansion? And you know, it's roughly brewed down to, well, we don't like Barack Obama, and this is Obamacare, of course. So you know, political demagoguing got in the way of tens of thousands of Montanans having health insurance and being able to not have to crawl into an emergency room when they finally go after the health care they should have gotten months ago when it was a little thing and now it's a big thing. It, I mean, that was the, the great heartbreak of the 2013 legislature and there's a lot of good that happened, but you know the, the fact that we didn't deal with that is a tragedy. Yeah, well... Uh, you'll get an opportunity again to do it. Oh, whatever. Well, no, it's not, it's not an oh, whatever. It's just, you know, on some level, you're always going to run into those things. Yeah. You're, and, you're never going to get everything you want. And holy beans, there are so many ways that it... it it's one of those bills. It was like the zombie bill. It, it just wouldn't die. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. It, it kept going through cycle and cycle and cycle. And, and, and we it thought had different numbers. And amendments. And amendments. showed up at different oh, bodies. Yeah, and, it, was, oh. it was all over the place. And, you know, it seemed like we might get something. Right, up until end. the last minute. Like, you up know, until the day before the session ended. Yeah, and it seemed like we, we had something that we were going to be able to deal with. But, you know, we didn't. And, you know, the other thing that folks need to know is that you know, there was this kind of false sentiment that was spread around about, you know, we, you know, already spent too much at the federal level, like we need to, you know, trim back and, you know, lower the national debt by not accepting this money in Montana. And that's just not what's going to happen. You know, the reality is this money, instead of going to Montanans to provide them health care, is going to go to California or New Jersey or, you know, some other state. Right. That had a legislature that went, hey, look, guess what? So, you know. Why other states are going out there and trying to, you know, get their folks covered and, and make sure that healthcare is affordable and not something just for the elite, you know, Montana, we're going to be the status quo and a lot of people are going to go without. Which is very sad. Um, one of the other things that's come up in the last week has been a new discussion about infrastructure in the United States. Obviously, this came up because the I-5 bridge in north of Seattle, yeah. which, you know, thankfully nobody died, but yeah. it collapsed into the water. And it was listed in the reports that went out, I guess, after the Minnesota bridge went down, what, 2008? Mm -hmm. um, reports went out and this bridge had been listed as functionally obs obsolete. Um, which is a nice way of saying, uh, don't use it. <laughs> wow. And, uh, you know, here it is six years later. Mm -hmm. Is that right? No, five years later? God, I can do math. Yeah. <laughs> Helena Public Schools, people. <laughs> <laughs> five years later, and the thing collapses. Yeah. And nobody should be shocked at this. And yet everybody's like, oh, we can't believe this is happening. You know, and they're talking about the minuscule amount of money that would go into Medicaid. Yeah. Wouldn't even fix that bridge. Yeah. No, that's very true. You know, and that's that's the fun the functional problem that people see is they try to put this all on the same level. Like spending on Medicaid is somehow the same as our defense spending, which is somehow the same as our infrastructure spending. And they're three completely different levels. Defense being an ungodly amount, uh, mm -hmm. magnitude bigger. 
uh, than either of the other two combined. So it's it's amazing to me that we have these discussions where people just can't sit down and do simple math, but the numbers are so huge, they can't wrap their minds around it, so I guess I kind of understand it. Because <laughs> they're probably products of the Helena Public Schools as well. Oh. <laughs> I get to say that because I love the school <laughs> yeah. board. They're all good friends of mine. I like Missoula Public Schools, which are excellent in every way. Uh-huh, quick. 246 minus 19. Uh, right. I'll get See? back to you. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> uh, delightful. Um, so what else is going on with you? We're coming up on 40 minutes, which is kind of a short show, but we've covered pretty much everything that I wanted to ask you. Oh, geez. I know. We're just cycling through so quick. I know. Well, you know, the Fastest nice thing is... Fastest interview in the West. <laughs> well, and you kind of have everything under your belt, so when I ask you a question, <laughs> you're not going, oh, I have to dig up that file. Hold on, I'll be right back. I know. Like freaking Nick Schwader and his list... I know. Oh, we can't. And, and it was thick too. It was like twenty five pages. I'm like, what? We're never gonna get through this. And there was a lot of things. And were there any bills that you were really surprised that that came up and then got changed to something reasonable that you were able to vote for, the session? Uh, that you remember? Oh man. Uh, See, this I is mean, why you had a list. Well, yeah. That's the tough thing. Is you know we deal with hundreds and hundreds of bills and and trying to remember the specifics of them, you know, is, is tough. You know, I'm trying to think the, the bills I, I do want to mention uh, because of their lasting impact into the future, you know, my, my big issue, my a number one on the top of the list is voting rights. And, you oh, know, yes. this last legislature, uh, had some weird ups and downs, you know, as usual, we, had bills introduced to make it harder to vote. And now we have a bill that, you know, we had a bill that would have moved same day voter or eliminated same day voter registration. So you couldn't register and vote on the same day, taking away that opportunity for people that thousands upon thousands of Montanans have used, um, for the, you know, simple sake of, you know, just because, because we've decided that that's yeah. different. Um, actually I, I got into a Twitter war with somebody because apparently I'm an idiot and like to argue on the internet, um, about that. Yeah, and, me too. And it was, and literally I could not get one Republican to give me a reason. Like their whole thing, they, they just didn't like it and yeah. that's fine, but they, they couldn't give me a reason. There was no fraud. There's been proof that there's no fraud. Yeah. And the proof of no fraud came from a secretary of state that was Republican. Three secretaries of state have said that. Right. But the first, the first one that, uh, actually had evidence was Johnson because they had the audit that year from yeah. the feds mm-hmm. and there was no fraud, mm-hmm. you know, and he signed off on it and yes, he was a drunk, but he, you know, he at least did part of his job mm-hmm. and you know, that's when that went into effect. It's, it just astounds me that they have no rational basis for making this change and they can't come up with one and they don't even try every single argument devolved into a conversation about either my hair or my weight, which kind of cracks me up. So, <laughs> well, you know, it's this whole idea of like, these people need to be more responsible, you know, but right now they have the right to do this exact thing. So it doesn't seem that that's being irresponsible. You know, every time you go out there and you ask these people, well, why should it be harder to vote? You know, they kind of mumble this or that, but they don't really have any good answers. No, what it is is they don't like the way the people are voting. Yeah. And so they want to, they want to make it harder to get there in the hopes that their side will get a, more, a bigger percentage of the actual votes that are cast. Absolutely. You know, I almost think that we should go to the Australian way of doing things where it's not a right, it's a requirement. Everybody mm-hmm. votes. You have to vote. If you don't vote, you get fined. Yeah. I mean, that's the way Australia does it. I mean, I don't know if I'd advocate for that for 
us here in the United States. But, you know, obviously I want to see as many people vote as possible because the more people who vote, the more, you know, real the result seems. Well, I mean, the result is real regardless, obviously. <laughs> but I mean, the nope, more completely people Completely my vote, imagination. <laughs> yeah, the more, I mean, the more people who vote, you know, the, the stronger the message is from the people who, you know, are represented by these people. So, and... I think that that's that's critically important, and so the interest and the other thing, of course, they bring every year is you know voter ID. They're trying to limit you know what you can use in Montana to you know show up at the polls with. Because right now you can bring a driver's license, you can bring your student ID, you can bring a you know a passport, you can bring a utility bill, you can bring a number of different things that have a proof of you know, residency of who you are to the polls, mm-hmm. you know, and, and that's great. You know, Montana, you have to show some ID, but you have a number of options of what ID you can show. Right. Um, and they always try to say that just a Montana driver's license, that's it. Unless the Montana driver's license is free, you cannot do that. Absolutely. Poll tax. Yep. 100%. Um, the funny thing that happened this year, though, is uh, a number of great Republicans in the state administration committee actually joined with the Democrats and we killed that bill in committee. Good. That one never saw the light of day. Uh, unfortunately, you know, same day voter registration elimination, major the floor, uh, passed, passed the Senate, went to the governor's desk and being the great person that he is, he vetoed the heck out of that bill. Uh, and it went away or so we thought. Uh, and that's why I wanted to mention it because we find ourselves in a weird place now where the Republicans have put two ballot initiatives on the ballot for 2014 that deal with your rights to vote. One of them is this repeal of same-day voter registration. So Montanans will decide on that this fall, or not, or next fall, in 2014. So make sure you turn out and vote against that one. The other one... But, and ironically, you can register on, on Election Day and vote against it. Yes. <laughs> As you should. Yes. I may just wait register until then just to do it. if you can. You know, I you may can... just wait and do it at that time just because it's be <laughs> ironic. Now they could, there can be some long lines. So we try to get... You know, Last time, the organization I was working with, we registered over 11,000 people to vote. And you know, we do everything we can to try to get people registered ahead of time to make that process as easy as we can for, for people. But unfortunately, you know, there's... Are they still going to be wearing the pink bunny ears this year? Oh, I'm sure they will. I'm sure they will. I hope so. I hope so. Um, but the other thing that's going to be on the ballot that is very interesting is this new idea of a top two primary. Have you heard about this? Yes. And uh, Washington State? Is that yeah, right? Yeah, I, I think Washington State and has so, this as well. And and since they passed it, they've never had a third party candidate. Exactly. The so the, the concept is you have a primary election and as opposed to... You know, the Democrats choosing the Democratic candidate, Republicans choosing the Republican uh, candidate, and so on and so forth. Everybody goes into one pool in the primary in June, and whoever gets the most votes, the two top people who get the most votes, move forward. So in a lot of counties in Montana, you'd end up with two Republicans on the yeah on the ballot. Yeah. Uh, or, I mean, or you'd end up with two Democrats in some of the more urban areas. Uh, but the thing that we know for sure is you're not going to have any third party candidates. Right. Which is unfortunate because in and a it's lot exactly of cases, what this law is targeted at, you know, because they, you know, the Republicans have seen over the last couple of elections that some of the people who might traditionally vote for them are interested in, you know, the libertarian or the constitutional candidates or the independent candidates who are throwing their hats in the ring. And this is all about just saying two parties are it. You know, if you want a third option, too bad. That's gone now. So. I think that it's bad we, law. 
It's a terrible law. I mean, and we actually defeated it in committee when it came forward as, as a as a simple bill, and then it managed to pass both the Senate and the House, uh, and go to as the ballot. Yeah. Now, so I mean, now now it's a uh, you know something that we have to defeat in the the fall and. You know, I just think it's really unfortunate that we're trying to limit opportunities for people. We're trying to limit choices for people when it comes to the different, you know, things that are going to be on your ballot. You know, I want people, if they want to vote for a libertarian, to have that option. Or Green Party candidate. Or, an, you know, well, an independent constitution party. Who cares? Here's the thing that the Republicans forget. And this is part of the cycle of the two-party system. Is that periodically, the party eats, itso- eats itself. Mm-hmm. And splits. And um, it happens between both parties. Within a, a, a couple of years of each other, they generally do the same thing. And what emerges is parties with the same name that have very little resemblance to the parties they were before because they've taken a different major portion of what they were going to be. And some people from both parties form what becomes the Democrats and what becomes the Republicans. And this has happened throughout our history. And it's Mm -hmm. an interesting thing to watch as the Republicans split. The most famous of these is when um, actually the the Reagan Democrats became Republicans in the late 70s. Mm -hmm. You know, they felt that the Democratic Party had left them in the dust. Well, there were a bunch of... uh, the opposite of them, and I'm not sure that they have a name, or if they do, I've certainly forgotten it, that were Republicans that left for the Democratic Party mm-hmm. at around the same time. And in doing so, the parties ended up you know, functionally being about the same size as they were regardless, but their, mm-hmm. their constituency was completely different. And if the Republicans get this passed, what they'll run into is the problem that Washington is having where their parties have become stagnant and... The one side is growing far faster than the other. And so the Democrats are actually growing much faster in Washington than the Republicans hmm, are. And it's put them it's put them in a situation where what they intended to get rid of was a third party because it was causing them problems. What's actually happening is they're running into a lot of situations where even in rural counties where they used to be able to count on it, they're falling off the ballot and it's two Democrats. Yeah. So it's you know, it's a shoot yourself in the own foot sort of thing in many cases. And as you become farther and farther from the right side of history, which is what our Republican Party is doing in the state of Montana, when you pull this stuff, it tends to backfire. Mm-hmm. You know, so be very careful what you wish for. Oh yeah, I mean it's it's, you know, just one more example of this short-sighted thinking mm-hmm. when it comes to, you know, it's going to be good in the next you know couple years for a specific group of people, but in the long run, it's going to be awful. You know, and that's a lot of the way that the legislature, you know, has been dealing with things, unfortunately. It's just, you know, what can we do about the here and now as opposed to why don't we think about what's going to happen in 50 to 100 years from now because of the things that we're going to do. Right. There's a better law that's out there that that people have tried to explain to people, a cascading vote, um, where you have several candidates at the first and then you take the top four, then three, then two, then one. Mm. Um, and the reason that you do that is because you let people vote for everything, but you constantly eliminate one person until you get down to there's just these two left and you know that they are the actual most popular. Whether what, what would happen if you had three candidates, you had two people that were below and the, it's just one vote. So the person who actually what didn't get most the majority of the vote because the split between the three. So is it like a ranking system? Like you sort like of. Put it's a, a cast- one, two, three, four kind of thing? No, you actually go through a, a series of ballots. You know, it'd be the primary, <laughs> secondary, and then the, then the actual election. Okay. It adds an election to it. But what it does is it allows you to have a... Th- it, it cancels out the third person 
being a, a pull on either one of the candidates yeah. and still legitimately gives them a chance. Huh. Well, that's interesting. So, I can't imagine Montana's would be much right, it's really excited hard about to do... multiple ballots and more election days. But... Right. It's really hard to do it. And <laughs> it's, it's an hard interesting to convince concept. people that it's useful, but it's exactly what happens in legislative bodies when they elect their leadership. Yeah. You know, because they do rounds of ballots and they go, mm-hmm. okay, this person's out and then they do another. So you're yeah. already, what's funny is that as a legislator, you're already doing this. That's true. But uh, we can't trust the populace with more elections. <laughs> <laughs> so well, if you find me anybody who says they want more elections, I'll start thinking about it. Well, yeah. And it, but it's one of those things where it's like it, it accomplishes the actual goal that these, this other law is saying that it wants to do. But it does it in a way that doesn't disenfranchise anyone. In fact, it enfranchises mm-hmm. more people who would have voted for the third party candidate because it doesn't discard their vote out of hand. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm always looking for new and interesting ways and better ways that we can make sure that, you know, voting is more accessible and more attainable for people. You know, I, I think that there's a number of things that we can do as a state to move our, our state into a place where, you know, voting is, is easier as opposed to harder. Uh, and I think that, you know, unfortunately it seems like all the bills that are making it through the system right now are all about, you know, taking away existing voting rights. So, Um, I do have one other thing that I wanted to ask you about. Yeah. How did technology play out this year? You know, I... We had Twitter for the first time with the session, with your first session. We did. You guys made a huge splash. The empty ledge, or as I like to call it, the empty leg. <laughs> uh, hashtag was... The old empty leg. Yeah. Which you remember the old Bill Cosby thing where he's talking about people who drink beer and they have an empty leg and you fill it up with beer and then you have to go. <laughs> <laughs> and that's why they walk funny because their leg is empty. <laughs> Uh, you know, technology, it's so interesting because this was something I, I noticed pretty early on in the process was, you know, Twitter in 2011 was everywhere. It was very prolific. There was tons of people in the legislature using it. People on the floor were using it all the time. You know, it was a, a really solid, robust conversation that was happening. You know, there was kind of what was happening on the floor with the people standing up with the microphones. But there was like kind of a secondary debate that was happening as well on Twitter and a little bit on Facebook as well with people kind of voicing their opinions. And, you know, people around the state were part of that one as well. You know, it wasn't just legislators, even though legislators were a large part of it. Uh, Right now, though, in this last legislature, uh, Twitter usage went down substantially. And I think it's the noise to signal ratio has gotten a little wonky on Twitter. Yeah. But... Yeah, I mean, and I guess for me, you know, I always liked to use it because it was a bit of a, a sounding board. I mean, you would throw stuff out and people would respond back and, you know, other legislators would say things and it was a conversation that happened. And, you know, a lot of times when I'm on there and, you know, I would throw something out and it would just kind of sit there and nobody would respond back. Nobody would you know, say anything uh, you know, and I was kind of the only thing, you know, when you look at your little thread of mm-hmm. MT legend, you just see your tweet sitting there at the top for, you know, minutes or even hours on end with nobody else saying anything, you know, it doesn't seem like a worthwhile pursuit. You know, I, I feel like I did a lot more on Facebook this last session, getting out our message through that. But, you know, in general, you know, it just didn't seem like people were that invested in, and Twitter like they were in 2011. Maybe it was just a, more, a little more novel back then. Maybe. Um, there was uh, one thing that I thought was very interesting this last session was uh, Amanda Curtis's use of video logs. Yes. I thought that was very interesting. And I was, you know, thinking that 
I would almost like to do that at some point. I think that the video logs were very interesting, and I didn't get to see all of them. Uh, I saw a couple of them, and I think that it's a very cool thing to be able to provide your constituents at home with that kind of access. And that's the thing I really liked about Twitter, especially in 2011, was you know, you can kind of get the the newspaper the day after and kind of see a few mm-hmm. of the things we dealt with in the legislature. Or, you know, you can go to Twitter and go to the MT Ledge hashtag and see things unfolding live. And not just like, you know, so-and-so said this on the House floor and then so-and-so responded by saying this, you know. You can see, you know, 15, 20 legislators like hammering out this debate and you can be a part of it. Right. And that's awesome. And I think that's a really cool thing that we get to provide to our constituents. Well, it'll be interesting. I do like the fact that um, the they're no longer using real player for the videos. Oh, <laughs> seriously. Oh, my goodness. So much better. Yeah, and, um, much better now. It, it was amazing. I, I think pretty much everything that went out went off without a glitch. Yeah. Um, I didn't see a lot of uh, technical difficulties that happened with uh, the streaming or anything this year. It was pretty pretty slick. Yeah, they've definitely stepped things up, and I think that they're going to continue to do that more and more. It sounds like you know, we provided them with well i know that we provided them with some funding to update a number of different things with montana tv uh and the streaming service so you know it was good this session i think it's going to be even better in 2015. very cool well uh any other comments that you'd like to let people know before we call it a day no it's been a pleasure as always very cool thank you for being on the show ladies and gentlemen Representative Bryce Bennett out of Missoula. And uh, this has been another Politics Boom. We will see you soon. Politics and Boom.